Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In the beloved children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the story opens in the year 1940, and the four Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, have been sent away into the countryside uh, to the home of an old professor, Professor Kirk, to be safe during the blitz that was going on in London in 1940. And while they're there in the midst of a game of hide and seek, Lucy opens the door to an old wardrobe. And when she goes into the wardrobe, she finds herself quite unexpectedly in a magical kingdom that she's never heard of. And she goes in and she experiences great wonder and many adventures. She has gone in and she has seen, and she comes back out full of enthusiasm and wonder marveling at what has happened to her, and she tells her brothers and sisters, who are all older than she is, and they just completely disbelieve her, make fun of her, tease her, and say, that is impossible. As if to say, we know it all, and we know that that is not anything that is true. But Lucy has been there, and she has seen, and she has entered in, and she knows that there's a whole reality that they know nothing about. And of course, Lewis is always playing with, with us. This wardrobe is in the house of Professor Kirk, Kirk being the Scottish word for church. So Lucy has faith and is certain of a reality that the others cannot see. And this is a marvel. And in the same way, but even more profoundly true, God's kingdom, so beautifully described in this morning's opening hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, seems invisible and unbelievable to so many people in our culture today. They cannot see it, they don't know how to enter it, and they think we're crazy for believing in it. For us, though, it is not a wardrobe door, but Jesus himself that beckons us to come and see Jesus later in the Gospel of John even says, I am the door. Jesus invites us to come in, to see, and to enter in. So as we look in this glorious Gospel from John 3 this morning, I want us to look at three questions. First, who was Nicodemus? Second, what did Jesus tell him? And thirdly, why does it matter for us today? Now, if you've been going to Rector's Forum, uh, you will have been hearing a lot about Nicodemus lately, so I apologize if this is a repetition for some of you. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and we are told that he is a teacher of the law. We know that he is a ruler of the Pharisees. He's part of the elite group of leadership, part of the council. Uh, he is someone who is deeply respected. The Pharisees were wealthy. They were the pillars of the establishment. Um, some sources like Josephus help us to believe that Nicodemus is part of an old and uh, aristocratic family. And 
he is someone that shows up in the gospel, not just here, but later on as well. He shows up sticking up for Jesus in his trial right before the crucifixion, and that he is the one that goes with Joseph of Arimathea after Jesus' death on the cross to help retrieve the body. So today we see Nicodemus come in, and it is interesting because he comes by night, probably not wanting to be seen, but it is a very brave thing for him to come at all because most of the Pharisees have said that Jesus is, uh, to say the least, persona non grata with them. He is not respected by the Pharisees. He has not come up in all the right ways. And interestingly, when Nicodemus comes, he addresses Jesus with great respect. He calls him a rabbi, teacher, which is not a title that Jesus has earned in the way that normal people would in Judaism. And he says to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he is ascribing what Jesus does to God. And that is a far cry from the Pharisees who often ascribe what Jesus does to the devil. And notice he's not just talking about Jesus' teaching being good. He realizes that these things that Jesus has done are miraculous. And so you would expect that Jesus receiving this great honored guest coming in to his home, even by night, would say, oh, I'm so honored that you have come to me. I appreciate so much your being so kind. But we don't get any of that at all. In fact, it seems maybe a little bit abrupt and perhaps even a little rude, and Jesus immediately cuts to the chase and says to Nicodemus, which is not, Nicodemus is not even asked a question yet, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus is the prototypical man who has everything. He is a great exemplar for us because he's achieved worldly success, he's achieved a measure of fame, he's achieved wealth and stability, but somehow there is something that is missing. There's something in Jesus that draws him toward Jesus. So let's look at what Jesus says to him. He doesn't respond at all the way that you would expect. He says, if you are not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That is, that your eyes cannot see, your mind cannot comprehend, and you cannot enter into it. And then, in case Nicodemus missed it the first time, Jesus says again when Nicodemus asks the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time? Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the beautiful thing here is that Jesus is talking about this kingdom of God as something that of course you would want to see and that you would want to enter and that it seems to be the most important thing that Nicodemus could learn about. And it's interesting that great English bishop J.C. Ryle says we should notice in these verses what a mighty change our Lord declares to be needful for salvation and what a remarkable expression he uses in describing it. He speaks 
of a new birth. This is not business as usual. This is not what Nicodemus and the Pharisees believed. This is not teaching the law and checking off every box, and if you get them all checked, then you can enter the kingdom of God. This is something totally different. And Nicodemus is completely befuddled and perplexed by this. And Jesus says to him, do not marvel that I say you must be born again. And the word marvel means to wonder or to be astonished. And in Jesus' view, this shouldn't be astonishing because this has been God's plan from the beginning of time to draw his people to him. But to Nicodemus, as to so many in our culture, it doesn't make any sense. How could it happen? And what Jesus says to him is that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And this whole idea of being born again is something that uh, is so part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes you hear people say, well, they're those born-again Christians, and then they're the other kind. Well, I'm sorry to tell you the other kind aren't Christians if they're not born again, because Jesus is quite clear that that is the prerequisite for entering the kingdom of heaven. But what does he mean by this? And commentators have had lots of different things to say about this. I commend to you to listen to Jeff's Rector's Forum recordings to help flesh all of this out. But part of what is going on here is that Jesus is reminding us that each one of us, all of us sitting here this morning, we were all born of an earthly mother. We were born through a human pregnancy that involves water, and when we are born, we come into this world, and we are born into this world. But when we look at the whole idea of the breath of life, we see the breath of life way back in the beginning of Genesis, and that breath of life does not come from human birth. It comes from God, God's initiative alone, breathing life, and to the man and the woman whom he has made. And we see again later with Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones, the Lord breathing life. And this is what Jesus is talking about here, that absent that kind of life being breathed into us, we cannot see or enter in to the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says that he testifies to what he knows and to what he has seen. And the reason that is so important is Jesus is the only one who's the Son of God, the incarnate person of the Trinity taking on flesh and coming from heaven where he has been part and parcel of every moment of the kingdom of God from before eternity, co-eternal with God. He is the only one, and he has come now to bear witness of the truth of that kingdom and what he has seen. And he goes on to say, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is that great expression that means the Messiah all through the Old Testament, especially in the book of Daniel. And then he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
And this is referring to that uh, story in the book of Numbers where the Hebrew children have been radically disobedient to God. They have disobeyed in so many ways and poisonous snakes come into their camp. They're being bitten and they are dying. And they plead and plead with Moses to do something about this. And Moses pleads with God and tells him to make this bronze image of a snake to hold up on a pole. And then when people look to that snake, to that image of that snake on the pole, they will be healed from this snake bite. They will be healed from the poison of it. They don't do anything but look to it, and as Jeff said this morning, it's like that prayer, save us, O Lord. And it is not because they bring anything with them or they've done anything good, it's because this is what the Lord has provided in order to save them. And then Jesus tells us that he is going to be lifted up on that cross in that same way so that those who look to him and believe will be saved. They will not perish, but they will have eternal life. They will be moved from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God and his son where they will live forever with him. Now this word believe is an important word, and we've had several sermons about this recently, uh, but you will remember um, that there's some fancy words for this type of belief, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. And basically what that means is believe um, is a multi-layered word. So it first means that you have knowledge about something, that you have some understanding of whatever it is. That's the notitia part. The ascensus part is that you assent to it, that you give intellectual consent to it. Uh, but that is not enough. It is not enough to say, I know about Jesus. I have knowledge of him. It's not enough to say, I agree with that knowledge about who Jesus is. But the third part, the fiducia word, is the important one. And uh, many of us know that word because of the English word fiduciary, which means somebody that is trustworthy. And here, fiducia means trust, that you believe. It is as if you have gone out to Boeing at the Charleston International Airport, and the new Dreamliner comes off the assembly line, and you say to the person who asks you, can that thing fly? It looks awfully heavy. And you say, oh yes, I believe it can fly. All the rest of them have flown. It's all good. And the guy from Boeing comes over to you and says, oh, that's great why don't you come join the pilot on the first inaugural flight? That is a very different kind of belief. And that's what fiducia means. It means that you are believing, trusting that Jesus can do what he said. And so that brings us to the third question. Why does this matter for us today? And going back to Bishop Ryle, he says this wonderful verse, John 3.16, that Jesus closes this section with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The most famous verse in all the Bible. But one of the dangerous things about familiarity is we can miss the power and the truth for us today that is in this verse. Bishop Ryle says this verse has justly been called by Luther the entire Bible in miniature. No part of it perhaps is so deeply important as the first five words. God so loved the world. 
The love here spoken of is not that special love which with the Father regards his own elect, but that mighty pity and compassion with which he regards the whole race of mankind. Its object is not merely the little flock which he has given Christ from all eternity, but the whole world, the world of sinners without exception. There's a deep sense in which God loves that world all of whom he has created. He regards with love and pity and compassion. Their sins he cannot love, but he loves their souls. Each and every one is precious to him. God's love is so broad that he loves even the expression in the New Testament of the world when it stands for all those things that are wrong, the places where the culture has gone astray, where people have fallen away and embraced, embraced false gods. God loves that too because he longs to bring that world back. Nicodemus saw something in Jesus that he knew he was missing, something that he wanted something he knew he did not have that all his study and position and wealth and ambition had never brought to him. Does that describe you this morning? Is there something missing in your life? Is being the captain of your own soul not all that you thought it would be? Do you find yourself restless and anxious, lying awake at night, worrying, wondering whether anything makes any difference at all, and wondering if you ever are gonna experience joy again. In the midst of that restlessness, remember that you are not alone. The great message of this gospel today is that you are loved. St. Augustine reminds us, St. Augustine, a man much like Nicodemus, who had everything the world could offer and had tasted every pleasure that there was, he finally came to realize that there was nothing that would satisfy the longing of his heart except Jesus Christ. That deep longing that he knew something was missing. And as Augustine said, our, oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. All of us, every one of us are snake bent. We have been poisoned by this world and by our own wills and sinfulness so that we cannot do anything but look up to the cross and to look at the one lifted on the tree, Jesus, the one crucified for us on the hard wood of the cross so that each one of us might come within the reach of his saving embrace. Jesus himself says that he brings the kingdom and those first words in Mark's gospel, when Jesus appears on the scene, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. So the question for each one of us this morning is have you been born again? Now, when I was growing up, I thought that question meant are you a Baptist? That is not what it means. It means have you been born again? Have you experienced this new birth that Jesus is describing here. Can you say from your heart without crossing your fingers or winking your eye, I have trusted fully in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, my Savior whom I know loves me. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to his cross I cling. It is not about being good enough. It is not about anything that you could do. 
It is also not about how bad you are, where you think, I've been so bad, I've turned away so many times, I could never imagine that Jesus could still love me. And the great good news is that fountain of Jesus' love is available to each and every one of us. If you do not know whether you've been born again, if you do not know whether you've come into relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not know that, then let today be that day. Jesus promises us, he says in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from life to, from death to life. Jesus tells us that when we believe in that sense of getting on that airplane, of trusting our lives to him, believing his word, knowing that he is the creator of this world who came as a lowly baby, born to die, destined to die on that cross in a death of agony in order to show his love and mercy for us. He is the one that offers us today that gift of being born again, that gift that he offered to Nicodemus that he offers to every single man, woman, boy, and girl to come to be born again to know his love. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts, and Lord, if there's anyone here who has never come within the reach of your saving embrace, let us pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I am so sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you, Jesus, died on the cross for me, so that I could be forgiven and set free. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by the power of your Holy Spirit to be with me so that with your help I may love and follow you forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that now no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Amen.